We're in Ephesians again this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 15 will be our focus. I was in Flint yesterday and somebody asked me, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm in Ephesians still, they said. I'm like, you know what? There's critics everywhere. Uh, <clears throat> but yes, still, almost done. Uh, we will get through it together. But we're, we find ourselves still in the armor of God. Uh, we'll be looking at another piece of the armor of God, as I said, is in verse 15. But uh, let's read together, beginning in verse 13, and I'll, I'll read through 17, so we can see all that's involved here. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This morning, we're looking at really something that I hope for many of you is just a recap. I hope that what is shared this morning is something that you know. I hope it's something that is foundational in your life, but it's good to constantly be hearing these things. It's important for us to continue to remember the things we've learned in even elementary school. If you have a kid that age, you realize that when you try to help them with their homework. You're like, man, I should brush up on some math, apparently, because uh, I'm getting a little behind. And it's the same in church life. We can get away from the things that actually are foundational and most important for us to know. And we see that here this morning with verse 15, because Paul says, as shoes for your feet to take up what? The gospel. And specifically, he says the gospel of peace. And so when we hear that word gospel, we need to know what that means and try to understand what that means. We get this word here in the Greek from euangelion. This is the Greek word, euangelion, and it simply means good news. We already read a we read a, a passage there in Isaiah 52. I think it's what I had printed in your bulletin as well, on the front of your bulletin, if you got a, a bulletin. But in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 specifically, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings, again, good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. It's good news. Gospel. You could say that's the word gospel there in Greek. That is what is trying to be said to us. And so when we hear this word gospel, we need to be thinking about that, that this means good news. Now, as we get into the New Testament, this word gospel, I think, is used in three different ways. Really, R.C. Sproul was helpful with this in his commentary on Romans. But he says when we get to the New Testament and we look at this word gospel, it's, like I said, it's used in three ways. And so I want you to, to hear it and hopefully hold on to this. The first four books of the New Testament are oftentimes called the Gospels. And so it, it became kind of a, a literary a way of a writing, right? A literary style talking about the life of Christ and his ministry. But also during Jesus' life, we see this word being thrown on and used. And, and when gospel is used with Jesus and even uh, John the Baptist would say something like this, it seems to be in regards to the kingdom of God. So talking about the good news about the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus talks about it, 
He's talking about the fact that the good news of the kingdom of God is this. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come and is bringing the kingdom of God. And this is, this is gospel. This is good news. Later in the New Testament, as you continue on, the word gospel is also used not just, not just to describe the works of Jesus, the work that he did, but also what that now means for you in your life. Right, The work of the gospel now in your life. So an example of this would be when Paul talks about the gospel, he can also reference the word justification. That the gospel can bring to you justification. That you can be justified in the eyes of God the Father through the blood of his son, Jesus, and the works that he has accomplished for you in your place. And so we see this being used in the New Testament. Now you might ask a question that I would ask. I think it's a good, fair question. Why, why be so nitpicky? When it comes to words, it's like gospel or really any words at all. Why, why, is it, why are we being so nitpicky? I know for me, this can become infuriating. Me and you might be having a conversation and we're, having, we're talking about the same thing, but we're using some different words. And finally, it's like, well, we go, we're saying the same thing here. We're arguing, but we're both going in the same direction. It's just, we're using some different words here. I know for myself, what comes across my desk sometimes is contracts. I despise reading those things. The legal jargon, right? The disclaimers that you're supposed to read and go through that are supposed to be so important. It's frustrating to me to go through all of this and, and to try to find loopholes. And, but what does it come down to? It comes to, down to the importance of, of words. And while it's frustrating for me to have to do those things, I don't want to do those things. I don't like doing those things. You know, when my phone updates, it's like, oh, you should read these terms. Does anybody do that? If you do, you're sick, right? I mean, there's a problem with you. You just say accept and you give them everything, whatever that means. I accept it. It's yours now, right? But we do know that it actually is important to know words. So take, for example, and I know this might seem silly, but take, for the, take the example, you tell me, Pastor Tim, it's going to be a good time. Well, what is a good time for you? It might not be a good time for me. What is a good time for me might not be a good time for you. Now, I know what that phrase means. A good time. It means we're going to have fun. There's probably going to be some excitement. We might smile, right? I mean, all this stuff would go into what might be a good time. But when I say, okay, I'll go along with you, and you take me to a medieval festival, you're having a good time. I'm not. Or if I go with our craft ladies to a craft show, you're having a good time. Pastor Tim is not. I don't want to be there. But on the flip side, I was at a wild game dinner last night. I had a good time. Some of you would not have a good time there. Right? And so we need to be able to define what do these things mean. And we have to do it when it comes to the word gospel. Because sadly today, even in churches, just saying a phrase like, I believe the gospel is not enough. You need to tell me what you mean by that. You need to define this for me. Because there are many churches all across the world that would say, we believe the gospel. We teach the gospel. But when you sit under the preaching and teaching, you quickly realize your definition of gospel is very different than what I take the Bible to be telling me the gospel is. And so we have to really grasp this and know this and understand this. 
even recently. I think the first time I saw it was on a Super Bowl commercial, but I've been seeing it more recently. Uh, during the March Madness College Basketball Tournament, I saw this commercial quite often, and maybe you've seen it. But they're usually in black and white. It's a commercial that's in black and white, and it shows people who are downtrodden or whatever going through hard times. And they start to say that Jesus gets us. And it's a big push right now, and there's a website out there. It's hegetsus.com. And so this commercial says, you know, you might be depressed and you might be going through this. Or you might be facing this. Do you know that there was one who came and he struggled too? Right? And they start to talk about Jesus without saying his name, but eventually they do say his name. And they just direct you to a website. And it's this website, hegetsus.com. Well, one night in my bed, I see this commercial. I'm like, I want to see what this says. It's obviously like a church thing or something. It's a religious thing. I want to see what's being taught, what's being talked about out there. And so I go to this website and I quickly realize they have a very different definition of Jesus and his work and what the Bible says the gospel is than what I say it is. And I, I, I did a lot of research into this and I found an article that actually said that it's, it's a group not associated with any churches, any denominations, and uh, they had some backers who've given over $100 million for them to produce this website, to produce some YouTube videos, and to have these commercials. And they want the world to know that Jesus gets them. And so I'm reading on this website and trying to see, not once did I see the word sin. Not once did I see the word salvation. In fact, I never even saw the word gospel. I saw the word addiction, I saw the word heartbreak, I saw the word anxiety, I saw the word social justice, I saw all these different words with little paragraphs and they'd send you to a video with a very short video, a 30 second video, and it would go something like this. Do you struggle with depression? Is this something that's difficult for you that you know the days drag on and it's hard for you to get out of bed? Well, I want you to know there's somebody that understands who had it hard in this life too. So hard that people that he trusted and loved would kill him. And he suffered as well. I want you to know that Jesus gets you. Now for many people that might be good news. But what does it really do? What does it really teach? What is it really saying? See a website like this is not teaching what the Bible tells us the gospel is. And so we have to be very careful with these sort of things. We have to know what the good news is really is. What is the good news according to the Bible? What is this gospel message? And so if you're going to tell me the gospel, it needs to be good news. Because honestly, when I was reading that stuff, just to tell me that some guy a long time ago gets me doesn't mean anything to me. Because it doesn't change me. It doesn't help me. I'm still laying in my bed depressed, not being able to get out and face the world. So just the fact that he understands, all right, my parents might tell me they understand. My wife might tell me she understands. What is that doing for me? And the Bible actually has something for us. And so it's important, again, that we get that. So I do want you to turn in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen, too, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in verses 1 through 6 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out for us the essential elements of the gospel that, listen, you need to understand. And so this morning, if you're a child in here, you know, we send kids back to children's church four and five years old. If you're six years old, seven, eight, up to 10 years old, 12 years old, I want you to listen to me this morning so that you will understand what the Bible is telling us is the good news of the Bible. Teenagers, I want you to listen this morning 
Because Paul didn't just say, just wear the gospel shoes. It's the gospel of peace. And you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow, you're going to go off to college, or some of you here in college. What you are striving for in your life is peace. Money, whatever it might be, there's all these things that you're looking to. And I'm here to tell you, there's only one source of peace, and it's found in the true gospel message. That's it. It can't be found anywhere else. So I want you to listen to that this morning. If you're new to church life, I hope that your ears are perked. Because this is the center of everything we are as Christians. And Paul lays it out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6. He says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In these six verses here, Paul lays out for us the gospel. And first thing that we need to notice in verse three there is that it is a divine message of good news. It's a divine message. It's not a, it's not a man-made message. It's a, it's a divine message. And what is it? It's a good news message. And I think Christians need to be reminded of this. If you're a Christian this morning, if you would claim Christ, if you say, I've been saved by him, remember this, please. You actually have the best good news the world has to offer. There's nothing better. There's no greater news at all than the gospel message. And yes, it is true. When you share this message with people, there will be those who reject it. There's going to be those who, who reject it and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But that does not change the fact for one second that it's good news or not. It is the best news we have ever received. And what we have seen throughout history is that while some do reject it, many will recognize it to be the good news. To say, yes, this Jesus is what I've been waiting for. This, is, this Jesus is what I need. This Jesus is the one who has conquered my problem and my issue, which is sin. He's taken that on himself. And this actually is Good news, too many of us, myself included at times, walk around as if it's not good news, but it's a burden. And it's not a burden. It should never, it should never be a burden. You know, it, it's exciting for us as families to, to share good news, whatever it might be, no matter how trivial or small. You know, my kid got a hit today. Great. You want to share that with everybody. Right? Uh, my child learned how to tie their shoes. I got a new job. Whatever it might be. We're not embarrassed or ashamed to share this. Why? Because it's exciting and it's, and it's good. And we think other people will be excited to hear it as well. And oftentimes they are. But yeah, when it comes to the gospel message, a lot of times I think we forget as Christians, this is way better news than you got a new job. This is way better news than, hey, he gets us. Right? This, is, this is the best news we could ever imagine. 
And so also it's important to notice, as I mentioned a minute ago, that this is not a message designed by man. And Paul wanted this church to know this, that this message was given to him. And you remember Paul's life before. Paul was not a Christian lover. He was not a lover of Christ. He was not a lover of Jesus. In fact, he wanted to destroy this new faith that was coming up within his faith of being a Jew. He was willing to kill Christians. He was willing to do whatever it took. But God stopped him dead in his tracks and by grace saved him. But then also gave him a message. And this message is the gospel message. And so Paul's reminding this church, remember the message that was handed to me that I then gave to you. It's a message that changed my life, Paul would say. And it's a message that's changed your life. And he's encouraging this church, stand firm in this. Stand firm in this message. And then he goes on to share what the message is. And so in verse 3, we see the beginning of it. The beginning of the gospel is this. Jesus died for your sins. It's important. You can't take that away. You can't not talk about sin. I know it's uncomfortable. I know that a lot of times people will come back at us and say, you're just saying I'm a bad guy. You're looking down on me. You're being judgmental. Hey, take the plank out of your eye first. Or blah, 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 right? They try to throw all these different things at you to try to get you to avoid sin. But without talking about sin, without a recognition that I am a sinner, there is no gospel message. Because if I'm not willing to recognize I'm a sinner, then I don't need good news. The good news is me. Everything's fine. Right? Everything's, everything is okay. Right? So Paul reminds this church, Jesus died for your sins. And this isn't something that you can hide from. Jesus went to the cross. And why did he go to the cross? He, go, he goes to the cross to bear our shame, to bear our guilt, and to put on him sin. Yours and mine. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 tells us this. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the work that Jesus accomplishes on the cross. As Pastor Spencer was talking a little bit ago, we, we, we continue in this sin and we struggle with this sin and we realize that when our eyes are open to the truth, this good news message that, hey, sin equals death and hey, you're a sinner. We start to realize that. I'm guessing you start to see it in your own life. If you've been a Christian very long at all, it's probably something that you struggle with on a daily basis, trying to overcome this sin. But the good news of the gospel is that he died for those sins. It's not something you do. It's something he has done. And this is great news for us. But he didn't just die for our sins. Paul goes on into verse 4. And what does he say there in, in verse 4? That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus' work wasn't just his death on the cross, but his work continued into his resurrection. And so Jesus' work in our salvation, again, it's not just cross, but it's also the defeat of death, the defeat of hell. He rose from the grave. And so again, this good news, this gospel message is that Jesus took your sin, he bore your shame and your guilt on the cross. He paid the price for it, but he also does this for you. Takes death from you as well because he conquered it. He rose again. He's alive still today at this moment. 
And so there is victory from the grave, and he is able to give this life to us. Romans chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. It says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, why? For our justification. Jesus was raised from the dead. So this is what becomes so important about Easter. Again, I've told you this before. There are those who teach Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but we didn't need him to. His whole life was like a metaphor for us of how God loves us. We we don't really need that. It doesn't matter. According to the good news, there is no good news if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Zero. But he did. He did rise from the dead. That's why Paul goes on to say, and he showed himself to them, and he showed himself to them and about 500 people, some of whom have died, but many are still alive. Go talk to them. That's what Paul's doing here. Go talk to them. Go find out for yourself. I'm not telling you a fabrication. I'm telling you a truth. This man died on the cross, was buried in a grave, and guess what? He walked out of that grave, and he went and talked to people, and you can go talk to them, and they'll tell you as much. And so this is part of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was buried. He was raised on the third day. Why? For your justification. And an interesting thing that Paul says each time when he talks about death, when he talks about resurrection, he says this each time, according to the scriptures. Each time he says it, according to the scriptures. This is important because it shows that all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Every single aspect of it is pointing to the accomplished and finished work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. All of it. It all goes together. And so that's why today we have to be very careful of some things that we hear. Because there's churches today, there's very famous men, preachers, that some of you may read, some of you may listen to. But they would say things like, We don't really need the Old Testament. We're New Testament people. We're a New Testament church. And and the God of the Old Testament scares people off. And so we would do best as Christians to avoid the Old Testament and just tell them about Jesus. There's a problem. You will never understand the good news that Jesus brings if you are not willing to understand the scriptures that he fulfills. And the scriptures that he fulfills is the Old Testament scriptures. You gotta understand how it all works together. Or again, it's not good news. You say, why does God look so mean in the Old Testament? Because sin deserves wrath. And over and over again in the Old Testament, God is dealing with sin again and again and again. We also see pictures of grace in the Old Testament. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Tim? We're all here. If God wasn't giving grace to mankind, none of us would be here today. He would have finished it. There would be no ark that you can go see down in Kentucky or wherever it is. It would have just been done. I'm over this. But no. There's all these truths, and Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all of these scriptures. And what Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians is all of this was written. All of this was given to us so that you can understand the good news. 
and that is Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. It all boils down to him. That is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has done for sinners. So practically, if you're gonna go around and share the gospel, it has to be what Jesus has done. That's what it is. The gospel, and please take this the correct way, the gospel is not your testimony. Don't tell me, Pastor Tim, I shared the gospel this week. I shared my testimony with five people. Your testimony is not the gospel. Oh, it's good news for you. It's not good news for me. If you want to tell them the gospel, you tell them what Jesus has done. What he has accomplished in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now you're saying, you're telling me to never tell my testimony? Oh, gosh, no. Yeah, tell people your testimony. But it needs to be about what Jesus has done. The works that he has finished. And then, yes, tell them. And it's good news for me. He saved my life. He's changed me in this way and that way. Or he continues to encourage me and bless. Whatever you want. Yes, go, do. But you cannot separate Jesus from the gospel. It can't be about your story. The gospel is not just Jesus was a good guy and he's worth following. Now listen, that is a message that is out there everywhere. I'll be honest, I struggle. Some of you don't struggle with this. I struggle pointing people to churches. I really do. I do a lot of homework, listening to sermons, reading statements of faith, really trying to dig deep into what people are teaching because it's important for me when it comes to authors, books, but churches for sure. And this is probably one of the biggest ones I see when it comes to churches where they just fall. Follow Jesus. He's a good guy. He made big decisions. Right? He did a lot of good stuff, and you should do. Look at the life he led. Look at all the good things that have come because of Jesus. You should follow Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel actually is very different. The gospel tells me, Tim, you can't do what Jesus did, but he did it for you anyways. You've you got to trust in that. Right? You've got to believe in that. He has accomplished that for you. Now, are there things in Jesus' life we can follow and should? Absolutely, as Christians, yes, no doubt. But we can't take away his sacrifice and his work and just act like anybody can just go and follow him. Oh, no. As we've learned in Ephesians, what we're talking about here, remember, this is people who have been filled with the Spirit can live this way. The only people who can put on their feet the gospel of peace are those who have been saved by God's grace. That's it. They can't do it out there. They can't follow Jesus, but we can because of the good news. So the gospel is very clear. It's Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection according to the scriptures. So the last thing that we need to look at is, and what does Paul mean then by the readiness given by the gospel of peace? There seems to be like action here because, again, it's, a, it's something that we wear. He talks about it as, as shoes, and I don't want to go all into the armor and all, all that stuff uh, too much. But there's really two options here, again, of what Paul might mean by this. First, the first option is that the gospel gives us a firmness or a grip, right? A grip to stand against all attacks. As Satan attacks us, we can really dig our feet into the ground and not move. You know, you th I hate that I go to sports all the time, but that's the only thing in my mind. And so I, I'm sorry about that. But you think about 
Like a baseball player, when he goes to hit, he digs his feet into the ground to get a good, solid base. And he wears a thing called cleats. And this is probably what Paul was talking about here, a Roman shoe that had like cleats in it. And so they could stand their ground when they got into formation. And when people would push against them, they could stand firm. And what Paul maybe is referencing here, the first option would be this piece of armor, the gospel, is what gives us the defense and freedom to stand firm against anything. You're not going to push me back because the gospel isn't something I do. It's something he has done for me already. And my feet are on the cornerstone, which cannot be shaken. It's like the song we sing as kids. The wise man builds his house on what? The rock. The foolish man on the sand. And in the song, what happens? The waves come down, the floods come up, and the sand goes away. And so does the house. But as Christians know, we rest on the gospel of peace. And when the waves come up and it, it's just torrent and it seems horrible, we don't move. The gospel does not move. It does not change. And so this is the first option that Paul might be talking about, about the readiness given by the gospel. But the sec second option, which I think has some relevance as well, is that the gospel shoes are what we must put on to be ready to go and to spread the gospel of peace to a lost world. Shoes that we put on our feet so that we can walk, right? So that we can go continually to let people know what has happened. This view here, though, sees this piece of armor as more of one of action than one of defense. And so again, like the other ones, I think both of these views could be argued. I think both of these views can be applied here without being wrong. We must always stand firm on the gospel. As I said, Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is our firm foundation. He is the rock that we are built upon. And this gives us peace. Again, I think, I think this is one of the biggest uh, things I've seen people struggle with in a practical way in ministry. I deal with a lot of families who go through troubles, who go through trials. And there are some who, no matter what, it seems like peace is stolen from them very quickly. But I've also found that a lot of times in those families, there seems to be a misunderstanding of the gospel. A lot of times, those families seem to think that the gospel is something that you earn every day. Something that you must keep doing in order for God to love you. And there's this sense, because something is going bad now in their life, that their faith has been weakened or or something has happened to where now God is kind of angry at them and God is allowing this. There's a problem with that. That is not being rested on the cornerstone of Christ. That's being rested on the sand of mankind and your ability. And what happens then is the peace just flushes away. And we need to make sure that we know this gospel message because then no matter what Satan throws at us, we will not be shaken or moved because this world and the things of this world are not the things that give us peace. We are gospel people. We are Jesus people. And he gives us peace. That is it. Not my, not my account balance. My kids aren't who give me peace. My wife isn't who gives me peace. My job, my security, all these things, my health, that is not what I find my peace in. I find my peace in the finished, accomplished work of Christ on the cross. And so therefore, Satan, you cannot move me from this. Oh yeah, life might be hard and it's difficult 
And I'm not just living all happy in life because of whatever might be happening, which many of you are going through. But that doesn't change the fact that our peace is cemented in the work of Christ, knowing whose we are. This morning, singing these songs that kind of may have got you going a little bit, the I'll fly aways and all this stuff that some of you get really excited about. It's easy to sing when you're really excited, but you know that's still true when you face troubles and trials and difficulties in life. And you know why? It's because he's the one who's gonna make you fly away. It's because of him. It's because of the gospel. So we need to make sure we stand firm on the gospel. He did all the heavy lifting. And now I get to stand on his accomplished work. But then I think I'd be remiss if we didn't say that, yes, also though, when we see the shoes, there is this thought and this idea that we should now Go and share with others. We see this even with Jesus himself giving us the great commission. Now go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, he says. As Christians, it's our call, it's our duty to go and to share this good news with other people. We're excited about this, so we're not ashamed to to shout it from the rooftops, what Jesus has done. We're not ashamed to go and to do this with urgency, with a sense of, of urgency. Think about it. I said this earlier. If you find out that you're going to be a grandmother, it is the worst news in the world when your child says, but you can't tell anybody yet. You're like, what? You're kind of in a catch-22. You kind of think, I wish you wouldn't have told me. But at the same time, you think, I need to be the first to know. And you struggle with that as a grandparent. Don't, don't tell anybody. Well, that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. You're excited. You want to let them know there is good news. We're going to have a baby. I'm going to be a grandparent. I'm going to, I'm going to have this child that I can love and care for. And no offense to any of you grandparents. But none of that matches up to the good news of the gospel. It doesn't. It doesn't even come close. And we are the ones, the church... The church is the one who's been given the task to go and share with the world. We know the answer. The peace that you so urgently seek after world, we know where it can be found. And it's in the man Jesus. Last night I was at that wild game dinner. And somebody asked me, what are you going to share? Like before, before I went, a friend of mine, what are you going to share? And I said, well, if I want to get applause... I'll talk about God bless America, because these crowds usually like to hear that. I'll talk about the Second Amendment and my joy of just shooting off rounds of guns or something. They'll get applause. I said, because honestly, a lot of times that's what I do here at Wild Game Dinners. Christian Wild Game Dinners. That the people would tell me, this is so our lost friends will come to church. But then the speaker will talk about this. I said, instead, I think what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to share with them the gospel. And so I did that, I think. I tried my best to share the gospel with this group of men. And afterwards, people were talking, and I had someone come to me, and he said, I appreciate you sharing. You know, it's the first time I've ever heard the gospel at one of these things. I said, really? He said, yeah, normally it's like some guy trying to talk about how he shot an elk, and the elk came at him, and, and God saved him in the midst of it, and you should trust in God because he can save you too. And it really hit home for me what the message was going to be this morning. 
knowing where I was headed. All over the place. For some reason, Christians are afraid to share the true gospel message as if it's not exciting enough. As if in front of a bunch of men who are hunters, all of which probably aren't that good at it, want to hear my stories about how my hunting goes or my fishing goes. And that's what's going to make this a good time. When in reality, we're trying to bring these men to this church and we tell people to bring your lost friends, what hunting story could come compare for one second to the fact that what many of you men out there are searching for when you hunt, which is peace, can't be found in some animal. Can't be found in some success in hunting. It can't be found in the camaraderie of you and your buddies as you go out. The only true peace that you can find is in the work of Jesus and the fact that he has reconciled your relationship between yourself and God. And only Jesus can do that. And he's done it because he went to the cross, he died, and he rose again for you. That's the good news. That's the story that we have to tell. That's what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be gospel-centered people. We are gospel people. We are people of the good news. Recently, I've been reading a book. I'll, I'll close on this. It's by J. J. Gresham Machen. It's a book that he wrote. And the very last paragraph of this book, it's in the seventh chapter of the book, and it's on the church. And one of the things that he was fighting, and we still fight, is what is the purpose of the church? And what he found during his time is what a lot of people in the churches were talking about is they were talking about current events. They were talking about the same thing the news was talking about. They were talking about the same thing that people at work were talking about and discussing. And people were trying to take the current events of the day and then put a little bit of Jesus in it. That's what they were trying to do. Sounds very eerily similar to today. And in his last paragraph, it really hit home with me because he said this. Where in the world are people supposed to go to get away from all the noise and to experience peace? Where in the world are they supposed to go to hear a message of good news instead of always bad news? He said there's only one place that's ever been created for that, and it's the church. And when the church starts to step away from the gospel, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. When the church starts to step away from that and starts to go into other avenues and other realms, what happens is you just become another source of contention. And you don't give the world what they desperately need that you only have the peace that Jesus can give them. Let us be said, hopefully here at Menorah Missionary Baptist Church, that we will always be a church of the gospel. That when people come into this room, and they come to hear a message and sing some songs that it's always centered on Christ. Not the hot topic of today, which there are many we could discuss in here. Many hot topics. And if you talk to me one-on-one -on, -one on my own, I probably have some thoughts on them. But the good news that we have to give this world is not Tim's thoughts. It's not your thoughts. It's the gospel of peace that Jesus has provided and his accomplished works in accordance to the scriptures. In church, we must be faithful to let the world know this. This is all there is, is Jesus.
Apart from him, there is no hope. Apart from him, there is no peace. It can only be found in the accomplished work of Christ. And so I beg you to ask your family members and to ask your friends, will you trust in the accomplished works of Jesus? Will you put your faith in him to forgive you of your sins? And then I hope that you'll be praying with me with urgency, but also with expectancy, that God will open the eyes of your loved ones to his saving grace. To your friends and to your family, that they would say, I trust in him with my life. That's what the church does. That's what we are to be doing, and God continues to work. He does. And so let's continue to go and to share the peace God has given us in Christ with joy, with excitement, but also with expectancy that God's word will not return to him void, but that his will will be done. Let's bow together. Let's pray, and then after that, I'll have the men come for the Lord's Supper. God, I thank you for the gospel message Thank you for Jesus. God, I ask that you would forgive us of our times when we maybe stray from what you have called us to as the church. As we gather as the body of Christ, help us to stay centered on the person, the work of Jesus. God, I pray, I know in my life, that you would help me to be excited more about that, that people would see that, that it would be real in my life and that people would take notice. God, too often I know I can be hamstrung by the fact that, ah, they're just gonna say no, they're not gonna believe it. So God, I pray that you would forgive me of that and help me just to be faithful to live my life in the peace that you have given me. And I pray that those around me would see that. That I really do rest on your promises the finished work of your son. God, this morning, there may be somebody here who this is the first time they've really heard the gospel. I pray that you would help them to understand it. God, there might be others who've heard it many times, but this is the first time you're really opening their eyes to the truth of it. They're starting to wonder and to think, this may be true. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would continue to work in their life and that you would save them by your grace. God, we are thankful for the gospel message. We're thankful for what we're about to do now with the Lord's Supper and what it means. And so be with us during this time as we partake of this Lord's Supper together. Help us to honor you in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.